When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna, talking to people who stand up, speak out, or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children, respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Welcome everybody to the Blood and Mud podcast. The podcast is better late than never and never better than when it's late. Possibly. No refunds. We will, uh, we will find out. Yeah, I am Lee, and over there is... Uh, I am Josh, still, yeah. Apologies for tardiness. Um, I had, I'm undergoing a kitchen renovation right now. I had hideous builder stuff all of last week and through the weekend. <laughs> and I felt like my head... On Monday at 5 o'clock, I felt like my head had been hollowed out and replaced with popping candy. So the idea of actually pulling it together to do a podcast was, well, it was unfeasible, or at least that's how it felt. So I know the podcasts are just sitting and having a chat. At least that's what it sounds like to you lot, I think. But we do have to actually do some stuff, and I really could not bring my brain to do it. So thank you very much for your patience, everybody. And thank you, Josh, for your patience, because in all honesty, I'm the one who fucks around on time, not you. Quite honestly, I mean, so. yeah, you say that, but then I occasionally fuck off to California for like three weeks. There so, is that, yeah. I mean, so kinda... I, I feel like we're quite even in that regard. That reminds me of when my granddad used to say to me I was sleeping my life away when I got up at half 12 or something when I was 20. And I said, <laughs> yeah, but you get up at half six and go back to bed four times a day. So on aggregate, we sleep the same amount. To which his response was, don't talk so bloody soft. So, uh... <laughs> I mean, yeah, we might have had a point there. I think... <laughs> <laughs> you probably did. Um, <laughs> since we've been... I didn't, don't think I've mentioned it last week because Rhiannon was on and it was all very exciting. So, but obviously, a couple of weeks ago, Josh, you were very, very in a quandary about a certain awards show and your sartorial selections. Can you oh, remind yeah, yeah, us yeah. one about the awards show and two, what you wore? Ultimate, ultimately, what, what transpired was that um, I could literally have worn anything, literally anything, Sunita was there wearing a orange hooded onesie with NASA patches on it. So, I Isn't mean, Sunita about sixty now, and she can wear whatever she wants. I'm not saying there. I age. didn't. I'm, just, I I'm didn't, genuinely curious. I think she's quite getting yes, knocking on a bit now. I think she almost certainly is. I didn't realise because she had the hood up all night, and it was quite a big hood. Like she kept walking past me, and I was genuinely just thinking, "Who's this fucking twat wearing a fucking orange What's, onesie?" To be fair, though, I mean, what has happened to the NME that Sunita is now going? I don't know why she. I don't know why. Last thing she wasn't like giving an award. Like it's not like I was in the particularly good bit. I was, in, you know, I was in. I level with you. I was in the VIP bit, but I wasn't in the like very very VIP bit. I wasn't sitting next to Taylor Swift or anything. 
but she was just kind of wandering around. I just thought that she was like a normal person. And then did somebody was like, oh, did you see Sunita wearing that ridiculous orange, well, the ridiculous orange jumpsuit? And I was like, oh, fuck, that was well, I saw the jumpsuit, yes. I, I saw the jumpsuit from a great distance. Um, so, yeah, I could have worn absolutely anything in the end. I wore um, a casual shirt and a dark blue blazer and some black jeans. Good man. Uh, and some boots. It was, and I, and I, But I could have just dressed like I dress boots, every single day. Boots, that is a day. departure for you, though. It is a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm more, much more of a, a, a... I very nearly wore my chucks, and I could have worn my chucks. I could have worn absolutely anything people dressed uh, as if they were from so space. Did you get close to Taylor Swift? Didn't she present an um, award with Billy Bragg, randomly? She did, and Billy Bragg did a uh, very funny thing where he walked up to the stage and said, hello, I'm the ghost of enemy past, and then he turned to Taylor Swift <laughs> uh, and, uh, and went... That's very good. And I, su- and I suppose you must be Taylor Swift, which was very funny. Um, yeah, so I was, you know, I was close to Taylor Swift in the way that if you are sitting in the bottom terrace of the Millennium Stadium, you're close to Dan Bigger, you know. I was about 30, 40 yards away as the crow flies. But, you know, yeah, well, Taylor Swift. You're in a room with Taylor Swift. There's plenty yeah. of strange people on the internet would love to say that, wouldn't they? Um, <laughs> yeah. Right, so... Um, but yeah, it was, it was good fun, eventful, I should say. So, anyway, if people want to know more, Josh, about your Enemy Awards uh, experience, <laughs> who, how do they get in touch with you? Um, at Josh Gardner or uh, at... Uh, actually, why are you still bothering saying Rugby Show Watch? I haven't even posted on that thing in about a month. And honestly, I haven't got so time At Josh anymore. Gardner, have you got any at more At Josh Gardner, yeah. About Sunita's outfit, any other outfits, yep, Josh, any outfits Josh's choice plen- of boots, anything. Yeah, I'll take a photo of the boots if you're that, if you're that interested. They're not that nice. I am at right. Blood and Mud. I am... Yep. At Lee at bloodandmud.com and all those things if you want to get in touch with us there we are also on Acast we are on we Apple are. Podcasts we're on anywhere we else you can get podcasts from and we are on Patreon and I have not pulled together the VIP members for the past week because oh, I no. refer you back to my brain like popping candy <laughs> uh, I actually had today wanna... off work and I've spent the day working with my dad uh, on the kitchen and that is not not very relaxing. No, I won't give you the full story, but let me just give you the abridged <laughs> version of what happened today, and you can give me an, and I can give you an idea. Mm. It was raining all mm. day. That's the first thing. Of course, it was. It absolutely fucking down today. So let yeah. me just give you a synopsis. Pipe buried in ground we thought was water pipe was not mm. water pipe. Oh. We had to find water pipe. Oh. So you can imagine that the plan we had to do was wasted by five <laughs> hours of digging to try and find a water pipe. Oh, that's extremely suboptimal. I mean, yeah. Yeah, Nobody so, you know, that's dig. the kind of day it's been. So here I am. So I have, that's why I've not done Patreon. <laughs> so there you go. But thank you, everybody, yeah. who does give us some support, despite the fact that we Indeed, are running, honestly, quite frankly, a fucking cockamamie show <laughs> this week. So We're an absolute shambles. But frankly, the last... I would like to point out, readers, that like the entire contents of Lee's kitchen is currently in his dining room. You know, if he wants cereal, he just not needs true. to spin it. I do oh, have a washing machine. Oh, As I showed you in the photo, actually. there is a washing machine. There is a forlorn <laughs> washing machine. <laughs> in the empty carcass of what's left of Lee's kitchen, there is a washing machine. The rest of it is in his dining room. It does mean you can swivel around and have some cereal at any moment. I could actually. But, so if that does not, yeah. if you give a bit of snap, crackle, and pop, it definitely won't be the patter. Oh, it'll be the. Uh, yeah, if that washing machine could speak right now, it would simply say, "I'm cold, and there are wolves after me." Because, uh, um, Where's everybody gone? <laughs> anyway, so there you go. Thank anyway, you, everyone on Patreon. Yes. We'll, we'll catch all up with this next week when we're back in the swing of things. Indeed, we'll, we'll start to play spotted as we always do. Alan from Carmarthen DMs. Yeah. 
Hi. It's a snappy one. He says, I, Ali. I'm sure he means you as well, Josh. Um, well, you know. He says, I saw Gethin Jenkins tucking into a wagamama at MacArthur Glen in Bridge End yesterday. I love so much about that. That's very, it is very, that is mundane. We I like mean, I it. just love that, I love that Geth's going to the designer outlets because, you know, he he likes to look good, but he's not going to pay full price. He's not going to go to fucking John Lewis and drop fucking full He'll price. He'll a lot of North Dosh. Face and wolf skin, won't he? But he's not going to want the he's full not, price. He, yeah, he's not going to walk into into you know to Harvey Nichols and drop full price on Levi's stuff when he knows you know in a couple of months' time it's all going to be in the Levi's shop anyway. Yes. You know, heavily reduced. There is that, yes, and also yeah, I do think that I, love I think that about him. this is not this is definitely not the first spot and we've had at MacArthur Glen in Bridge End. Rugby people in South Wales are thrifty people. Exactly, the well, thrifty you know, rugby, designer people. Rugby wages are not you know they're not football wages, are they? You no. know, people. People want to look good, but they don't want it, you know. So I bet they don't go just, to that particular corner of a, of, a, of a designer outlet that's too expensive. Another corner no, that's got, no. like, polo in it. All the Burberry, fancy things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coach, all the fancy Those kind of ones. Don't go there. It's, yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, this is reduced from, like, 400 quid to 320 yeah. quid. Maybe they do. I don't know. But, you know, that's the corner I've never no, gone to. I'm going to the Nike know. shop. I'm going to the, the Lint <laughs> shop for some chocolates. Yes. Um, I'm going to go to the Cadbury sh- shop, shop for the misplay- uh, for the misshapen chocolate bits. The I'll stick me head in the DM, the, the DM's outlet. Yeah. You know, speaking of boots, you know. Mm-hmm. So any all of that. So anyway, so there there was Geth. <laughs> Are you a Wagamama <laughs> fan, Josh? I mean, I don't mind it. I can live. It wouldn't be my first choice of a takeaway, but I of a sort of casual dining experience. But you know, I'll go there. I like a Wagamama. However, I do find that you can eat ramen for an hour and it doesn't go down. <laughs> I think that's the thing. I think it's it's just, you know, I want to feel like my food is gone, you know? And I know, I, yeah. It somehow it's... seems too big and insurmountable. It's like the South African pack of sort of <laughs> oriental I foods. Want, I, just, I just like to feel like I'm making progress, you know? I just yeah, want exactly. to feel like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Sometimes it's 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 too much. Shall we have some news? We probably should, shouldn't we? I mean, we could talk about Wagamama for the rest of the podcast. I could, and I do like Wagamama. I do. Well, let's do it. Let's carry on doing it. That the 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 chili squid starters belting. I like those little uh, things that look like a little pasty. I can't remember what they're called now. Like a dumpling thing. They're good. That are fried. Uh, Not deep fried. The... Actually, fried, fried, pan fried. Uh, the the chicken katsu curry. Is uh, a bit you know, dull for that it, for me. Bit dull. For yeah, me, yeah, I know what you mean. But you know, it's 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 unlike some of the big noodle dishes. It's not gonna. It, My it wife always orders orders those edamame beans. Oh yeah, no, not for and me. The, the, I don't get it. She she possibly she gets quite excited about it as well. <laughs> but then again, she did marry me, so you, there's no accounting for taste, is there? So I mean, yeah, you know, you've got us. You've got to grade these things on a curve, haven't you? You, you know? have. And if I yeah. if there's somebody who deserves grading on a curve, it's me, right? <laughs> so no, enough of this news. Yes. Obviously, some of this news is a bit old because we didn't get online till now. Um, yeah, it's but Thursday. Shall we talk about? Well, we've had a bit of time to reflect, is the way I'm looking at it. Yeah, I like that. I like that. We've t- t- when there's no hot takes here. We've no, had four no. days. I've had four so... days to not change my hot take. So uh, <laughs> I was no. going to say I've had four days to remain absolutely rigid in my original opinion. <laughs> in the thing know, that, I, that I thought of two minutes after reading something. Yeah. Should we talk about this championship funding uh, thing that the RFU yeah. seem to be rowing back on a little bit now? Four days later, a bit like yeah, Sonos, well, I mean, you know. 
We're not supporting <laughs> any speakers anymore. Are you fucking joking? Oh, sorry. We maybe oh, should have said that. Yeah, we should have. Yeah, I mean... So they're, the halving, the, was... they're halving the funding, aren't they? I think we Yeah, all know so they're getting 500k less. instead of a mil. And uh, they've been given, been given a mil each for the past four years, and the RFU's kind of really damning paragraph was something like about, we had some fucking performance measures in, and we you haven't met any of them. I don't know what they are, but they haven't met any of them. But yeah, No. And then the championship obviously came back, put them on blast, as the internet would say, um, <laughs> and came back and and was extremely unimpressed with pretty much everything about it. Not from, well, what, from... And then the final nail and the real sort of kick up the hoop from the RFU was them saying, we do not see the championship as a primary development ground for elite rugby. Thank you and yeah, good night. Thank you very much. Good night. Yes. <laughs> Which, so that's where you I are, mean, yeah. The RFU is basically doing uh, the Premier Rugby Limited's w- dirty work for them, isn't it? You know, they're without them even having to mention the word ring fencing, um, the drawbridge is being pulled up uh, effectively. I mean, it's obviously like this. The thing that pisses me off about this, I think, is is the players that are going to be affected by it, like, and the clubs that will probably fold as a result of this. You know, it's. It's pretty can, grim. I know that you shouldn't look to Dublin to Wales for any kind of idea of good rugby governance and ideas. Absolutely but not. Do you remember when they basically? Well, you will remember because it wasn't very long ago. But they basically they cut all ties between the kind of regions and the mm-hmm. and and the clubs, didn't they? And said effectively, you've got no responsibility, direct responsibility for developing anybody. You know, we'll no. take care of all that. However, if you'd like to develop some people, you can have some people from the regions and develop them. Yeah, but basically you focus on running your clubs and yeah. you know we won't be looking for any of that. No. So there's so, and weirdly the RFU's a funny the championship's a funny one in that that's the way it's always been. There's no obvious link between professional clubs and championship clubs in my mind. They they are no. separate entities who run themselves, but also there's an unspoken understanding that players will develop there and will move on like with any other yeah. lower level well, club. I think it's interesting, interesting sort of parallel to that though, isn't it? Is that is that you know the regions basically found the premiership. You know, the, re- the premiership was supposed to be where the regions develop their talent, but they, for whatever reason, have found the premiership in Wales to not be a sufficiently good quality and mm. you know sufficiently joint. So they've had to create you know the regional A sides, which is obviously what the premiership also wants to do with with you know mm. the premiership rugby shield and. Well, that's what they're saying, isn't there. it? By saying we don't see this as the premier, the the primary development for players, but then, because they're basically saying the A teams are going to do it, aren't they? Yeah, and that's fine. But does something have to exist purely to furnish those higher above them in the chain? Is the question that I think the championship is is probably quite, you know, entitled to ask because it's like, oh yeah, well, you know, what they're not feeding up the chain to the rich people who've actually got the money who are taking all of the money that they feel like they should have a piece of the pie to that to then feed up to the you know to the national side like i know that all sporting development is supposed to be a pyramid but like does it have to be really you know in this age of modern academies and stuff like that say we're not saying you don't have to exist we're just saying you have to exist with less money yeah and i think that the sort of the issue with all of that stuff is that effectively, I guess that these championship clubs claim that they do a lot more than just developing players. And also, you know, there's a lot more rugby players than there are 
and you know yeah, players on the fringe of professionalism than can be can, can be fitted into you know the Premiership and and Premiership squads and even academy squads and that's where that's where I feel sorry for the players in this is that there are players on long to you know sort of multi year contracts for Championship clubs that are basically going to get those fucking contracts torn up now and are going to be out of work and might well end up not being in the game anymore as a result which you know i think they've slightly oversold how important the championship is in terms of developing because they only managed to find about six players that had actually played in the championship who've gone on to play for england but there's plenty of people playing at the top level top level though isn't there that's I the think. thing yeah it is still a, a good you know it is still a good breeding ground for the premiership if not for international rugby and it also that, it also assumes like that, that well. kind of foregone conclusion thing, isn't it? If you're an A team at a Premiership club and at the age of 19 they let you go, or at the age of 20 they let you go, there's this assumption that then that's it. Then there's no more development yeah. for you to do. You cannot come back, which and history proves that that is a nonsense. I suppose that, interestingly, Alan Bow, who's the chairman of Nottingham, and a lot of <laughs> clubs have come out and tried to make very kind of reasonable points about this, really. But they, yeah, yeah. he's come out and he made an interesting point for me. He said putting the money to one side that the RFU are still not clear on the benefits that they're getting from the championship. On that basis, how can they value it? it it's, it's a funny yeah. thing, that is. There's a lot of things he's saying there, because I think that the RFU are saying they're clear on the benefits they get it for just, development of players. Um, it's just not enough. And then the question then becomes about how much does the RFU... It, it really is ultimately a question about value, isn't it? It's a return on investment, really. And yeah, I suppose absolutely. some people have a very fundamental problem with that in the first place. They say, well, you, sh- you can't measure sport like that. <laughs> However, we live in the real world. But I do well, we think live that... in a world where sports are businesses, so there's got to be a sort And of money is reducing. Acceptance. I mean, there's a whole question yeah. about what they are if you were spending money. I know that, but everybody's got less money than they, they once had. Yeah. I think there's... Um, you know, rugby club... What do rugby clubs exist for? Rugby clubs exist because... They, they were created as a civic and community thing and that's how they continue, yeah. that's, they, that's how they thrive. How do you put a value Absolutely. on that from a kind of well-being and, and, and mm. wider population health and, you know, and all that kind of stuff is a difficult thing to do. The RFU are effectively saying is, you, you it probably, I think, they're saying it does have that value. However, I'm not sure how much of it we should fund. You should look to your communities to fund it. And if you yeah. have to cut your cloth, then you do. Now, yeah, you see, it's, it's I work in the public sector, you see. So I, as mm. much as the RFU isn't the public sector, I am used to thinking about this kind of stuff a lot. Yeah, and you saw, uh, I don't think that it's, it's not a case that the RFU doesn't have something of a point there. It's like, at what point do you have to draw a line and say, you know what, we're not responsible. Like, even though the RFU is responsible for all rugby in England. Hmm. At what point do they have to? Well, you know, at what point do they have to say, "Well, yeah, well, we can't just keep paying for it, though." And the thing that I found a little a little rich in the in original championship statement was that they sort of were basically moaning that the funding to community rugby hadn't been cut to the same level that they had. At which point I was just like, "Are you fucking serious, guys? I mean, this is grassroots fucking community rugby, not like." the second tier of professional sport in the country like yeah the community rugby should be the fucking last thing to go because that's what exposes it to the largest number of people and the largest number of normal people on a practical level like i have a huge sympathy for the championship but like you know I yeah, don't think... the, the issue is is that it 
I think all of these arguments are quite valid. The issue is there's too much of a stench of ring fencing by the back door, isn't there? There is. That's, that's I mean... what really causes a problem, isn't it? And, you know, it's in, I'm sure it's entirely coincidental, but it is kind of ironic and sort of and convenient that, you know, the Saracens get relegated and then they'll have a year in the second tier, basically being the only pro side in it, hmm. um, which is basically going to mean that they'll come straight back up, you know, probably with an infinity number of points. Um and yeah, like you say, you know, it's, it's effectively ring fencing by the back door. And unless somebody, you know, the fact that the prem, the championship will be basically semi-pro means that like whoever gets relegated, you know, after a couple of years, they're going to say, look, this is pointless. Let's st- stop having relegation. Or let's have some sort of playoff between the bottom team and the top team. But I mean, rugby, th- rugby league is an entirely semi-professional lower tier. There's a couple of clubs mm. who try and do it for a season after they get relegated, but it's no guarantee of success. I should know, yeah. being a Lee fan. Um, <laughs> Bradford Bulls, same for them. You know, it's it's yeah. you know, there's no. And you know, you read across the football. You know, mm. football quite clearly can't afford four fully professional leagues. Absolutely. It cannot afford no. it. And at some point, it's all going to come falling in on itself and so on. There's a question mark about how the, the, the kind of the RFU and the football leagues and the RFLs of this world manage that. And now I think the RFU yeah. are, are walking back a bit and talking about phasing in this cut, aren't they? Yeah, because I think it's, it's definitely a case that, you know, the championship, as you say, it. it it could exist in that way in other sports and there's no reason that a semi-professional championship can, can't can be a really good league, you know. A lot of fans of, you know, Ponty and Evervale and teams like that will tell you that the Welsh Premiership is still a really fun, really good, really enjoyable league to watch, even now that it's, you know, I suppose the question basically for me semi-pro. never really been answered either is, is if they... If these players are play, paid less, which is the reality mm. of what this will equal, isn't it? There'll be less players being played, paid, and yeah. those that are will be being paid less. Will they then not play rugby in the championship? And I'm, I, I don't know, but I'm not so sure that that. I, I don't know, but I question whether that will be an inevitable consequence of this. Yeah, and I think you know, it's not like there aren't other opportunities for players. Of that, of sort of championship, you know, good championship level players will find an opportunity elsewhere. Whether that is in the Pro 14, where you know, mm. if they, if somebody like Bedford or Jersey isn't, you know, spunking on money on 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 professional players, you know, the Welsh regions will certainly have a couple of them. You know, Pro D2 in France is a a very lucrative way to go and spend a year if you're that way inclined. Yeah. And it's I also question Mark. There's as a bad question. As all that. There's a question for me as well. The individual clubs, when you, they were doing their four to five year business plan, if they didn't mm. have in there a significant risk of a cut in funding from the RFU and what their plan was to do what about the fuck it, are they doing? Yeah, then exactly. I don't really know what they were doing. And I, I, I'm not using a defender of the RFU. And it sounds like I am being here because, as we often say on here, that you know all governing bodies are cunts generally. But yeah, yeah. But I suppose I know what it's like to operate in, a t- in, in, in an environment of ever-decreasing funding and the choices that you have to make. And, yeah, and, the reality and, and is. The, and that you cannot be endlessly paternalistic towards organisations. You have to sort of say to them, well, this is how it has to be. Make yeah, a plan. and ultimately, this, this, this all dates back to the fact that 
what the RFU expected would happen post Rugby World Cup 2015 in terms of how it would grow the game, how it would increase revenues, mm. how it would blah, 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 you know, that was incredibly short-lived. And nobody, you know, with the, all the layoffs and all of that shit that happened last year, nobody at the RFU was fucking cutting their cloth accordingly for that not happening. That's true. And it's taken everyone by surprise. Um, I'm not saying that the, <laughs> the Championship Club still shouldn't have seen that coming a little bit because they're sort of closer to the the core community game than anybody you know at the rfu is but like yeah it's like that whole the whole edifice was almost predicated on rugby sort of having a cycling level you know cycling post tour de france win mm. in britain level kind of of upsurge in excitement and as it was the rugby world cup went terribly for england in 2015 and there was the legacy did not fucking materialize in any meaningful way i don't know very but what it did like it did materialize on in one meaningful way is that there was shit loads of money made out of it so it yeah. was obvious that then but the rfu were going to go oh look we've got shit loads more money now here have some more yeah, money but it didn't last and then it after four years they're going to go we haven't yeah. got our money anymore <laughs> they was, thought that the money would beget more money which is always a fucking dangerous thing a for anybody like, in any business to think it was. It is a bit. It was a bit like working in the public sector when when the government's changed in two thousand and ten. If anybody in the public sector was going sat there and went, "Well, the funding will stay the same, won't it?" Huh. You know, yeah. you were like, "Well, what fucking planet do you live on?" <laughs> you know, what I mean? exactly. And that's yeah, no exactly. criticism. That's just a fact. You know, when, when the government changed, it was like, "Well, you have to assume with everything else that's going on as well. You have to assume that we're gonna. There's not gonna be as much money as the. So we need a four year strategy to deal with it." And I don't know. Anyway, we've talked about this for a very long time. So I think yes. in a way, it, I think it staging it in though. is probably the right thing to do, but I don't think it's just automatically wrong that they're saying we're not going to keep funding at this level anymore. No, I think you're probably right. And I feel for, I, I feel for pretty much everybody involved except for the RFU because as we've discussed, you know, <laughs> cunts. Um, but yeah, like... Look at their expenses budget. <laughs> Indeed. But yeah, I think that we're entering a a really... This is kind of a, an interesting bellwether, an interesting sort of canary down the coal mine situation of where rugby is headed. Because, you know, let's not forget, England is the biggest, you know, and most richest and most fucking gauche rugby nation on earth. There's more players, there's more cash, there's more teams, there's more everything. And for this to be happening in the English second tier, where they basically can't afford to survive, is a really interesting and slightly alarming bellwether for the rest of rugby. You know, mm. we know that rugby is financially absolutely fucked. You know, none of the teams in the Premiership would exist without Sugar Daddies except for Exeter. And yeah, it's it's rugby's going to have to have a conversation with itself. And I think that how this whole stuff with the Championship shakes out over the next couple of years might be an interesting kind of indicator of how it's going to work out when we're talking about, you know, Premiership teams and Pro 14 teams and even international teams. It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting to say the least. Speaking of championship then, let's move on in the news and talk about Saracens because all their players are leaving, but apparently Jamie, George and Elliot Daly have said that they're not. <laughs> However, it's a, it makes a it good was quite caveat, doesn't it? <laughs> Basically, with I really enjoyed, oh, I didn't enjoy, but I just found it an interesting sort of exercise in headline writing and then what the actual body copy says. Because it was like, yeah, Jamie George and Elliot Daly saying, yeah, we're staying at Saracens next season. Basically, what they both said was, well, I've got a contract here for next season. I mean, that's just a fact. I mean, Jamie George <laughs> literally said, I need to be playing next season. And you can read that in a million different ways, 
Yes. <laughs> purely, from, purely from I need to be playing rugby anywhere to I need to be playing fucking test rugby and top level rugby every week because there's a bloody Lions tour next year and I expect to be on it. I plan to prepare I mean, for the Lions tour, in the one that I'll be going on in my prime, <laughs> by playing against people who are now going to be paid in pig's teeth and shells for the entire season. It's, after it's, it's, season. it's absolutely not happening. Like, and Daly even went so far as to say, when I get back to Saracens, we'll talk about next year, which sounds pretty clear. Like He's going to say, right, lads, where am I playing next year? Because it's definitely not here. I think there's um, going to be... Have you seen the Sunderland Till I Die documentary on, yes. on Netflix? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the endless conversations they kept having with Jack Rodwell? Yes. He was still on 40 grand a week from a hideous premiership. Off, please? Yeah. Will yeah. you please just give this contract away? And he was like, no. No. Why the fuck should I do that? I didn't fucking <laughs> offer myself the contract, did I? You did. So why should I just give it up? wonder how many conversations like that there'll be in Saracens next year. Well, it, well, according to um, various outlets, including, I, mean, I hate to say it, but it's according to the Daily Mail, um, George Cruis is off to Japan. Um, Their rugby reporting is actually all right. It's a lot not, of yeah, their sports reporting good. is actually that's it's a actually sad pretty thing good. About it all, yeah. yeah, it is such a shame. Um, but yeah, Chris is uh, as as has been widely rumoured for a while uh, is off to Japan where he's going to get half a million a year. So fair play to him. Um, ben Earl's going on loan to Bristol for a season, which is an interesting move uh, and oh. a very good move, I think, because I think the absolute best thing that Ben Earl could do is play in a Pat Lamb team for a year. Oh. Remember, people often think now only of Pat Lamb as the coach. Cast yeah. your mind back remember, to Pat Lamb the Pat eight. Lamb's a fucking flank. Exactly. Pat Lamb yeah. the eight, and then yeah. think about Ben Early. Go, hmm, yes, yeah. that, that could be enjoy nice, that, isn't yes. he? Yeah, especially playing in a back row with, uh, with you know, two pretty fucking decent players in Lua Tua yeah. and uh, and fuck, I've forgotten the name. The other one whose name we can't remember. What I, oh my god, what's happened to my brain? Um, I can't remember his name. Anyway, moving Fuck on. Me. Neither anyway, can I. Yeah. So you know. Um, God, but, I'm not, but you're not having building scared. work done, so you should fucking remember. <laughs> it's been a long week. It's been a long week. Um, <laughs> oh my god, what is his name? I'm gonna have to literally googling Bristol number eight here. Nick, yeah. what's no? I don't want the number eight bus, you twats. <laughs> Anyway, oh while you're God. doing that, should we talk? Tom Young yes. has been banned for thumping somebody. Oh yeah. Oh sorry. Uh, yeah, Ben Hill. Sorry, Ben Hill is off to um, to Bristol. Nick Azikwe, uh is apparently off to Gloucester. Alex Lazowski, uh is off to Sale of all places. Um, is that is that right? Oh no, he Bath and Gloucester, but Sale are also the favourites to land him. Apparently. Right. Um, um, well, yeah, Azikwe's had talks with Gloucester and Sale, which I mean, Sale just want everyone. Um, Jack Singleton is uh, off to Leicester apparently, and Ben Spencer Ben Spencer's off to Bath. Um, That's a Vincent good signing Cock. for Leicester, actually. That's Jack a really Singleton. good signing. Yeah. Um, and Vincent Cock is apparently assuming it he, comes a, he, comes off, but yes, yeah, good signing. Yeah. Apparently, Vincent Cock was considering a season in the Championship, and then Razzy Erasmus went. I really wouldn't, mate. <laughs> um, and is in talks with. Didn't Bath he come from Nottingham, Vincent Cock? Yes, he did. He's played in the Championship before, so he probably just thinks, "Ah, oh, I've done it before. Why not?" But um, yeah, basically, Sale want everyone from Saracens is what I'm seeing. Sale are the Jake White of signing people. <laughs> just, just throw the hat in the ring for anyone who's available. Basically, uh, yes. So um, you know, it's 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 you know, of course they're going to go. They, these guys are not like they're not going to sit in the championship for Nathan Hughes. Fuck me. My brain just kicked <laughs> yeah, into gear. Uh, there it is. Um, 
This yeah, is why you wait for his podcast as young oh, So we can't no. remember a marquee Jesus. player who's also an international. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, like they're not gonna stick they're not gonna Owen Farrell is not playing rugby in the championship next season. Even if it's on loan, it ain't happening. Lions tour, six nations. Especially if they're still running that fucking nipple height tackle thing, you'll be fucked. <laughs> but like, yeah, Eddie Jones is not gonna countenance if he's still there, obviously we'll get on to that. He'll still be um, there his most important players next season competing at championship level. The step-up's just too much. Like, you can't expect somebody from going to play an ampill one week and then playing against fucking the Springboks the next. It's no. just not going to work. No. Anyway, so, so uh, yeah. yes, so Tom, Tom Young's has Tom got punchy been again. Yeah. Um, and he, he actually got banned for a decent amount of time because he is always getting punchy. <laughs> and so once the biscuits were not sufficient... And he did not get his ban reduced at all, which I think is the first time I've ever seen that with not Dylan Hartley. And then we come to our final piece of news, ladies and gentlemen, um, that it is—it's finally happened uh, that that you know, Premiership coaches, Royal Rumble champion, he of the unemotional face and number ones on match day, uh, Die Young, has been let go by wasps after nine years glorious years some may say not so glorious this year however i think it's easy to forget it was i i had forgotten how long it was that's the first thing Mm. and two it's easy to forget what he's actually kind of uh shepherded them through yeah i mean years the move to the traitor dome yeah well he's basically materially and practically involved in saving wasps from what would probably have been oblivion would have been you know was london welsh level fucking bad shit because they were on the financial precipice of going bust and also about to get relegated which could have been unbelievably bad news for the club and could have killed the club and he came in and he steered a squad that was absolutely fucking ravaged with injuries and not very good and saved them and then you know he took by two years ago he was you know they moved to coventry he totally overhauled the squad to the point where they made the premiership final and the championship i was at that game doing a whisk don't forget fucking extra time in a 32 degree heat you know it was it was a whisk it was so close but then you know i don't i find i find i'm genuinely very like we obviously love die like i obviously have skin in the game him being from your him, neck of the woods, of course. Him being from my neck of the woods. But I just, I look, I don't know what's going on with Wasps these days or what the long-term plan is for the owners beyond make fuckloads of money off owning the land adjacent to the stadium. But, like, it doesn't, this doesn't make sense because all it seems to have done is piss off their own fans, their players, and everybody in the rugby world. We are forever banging on, aren't we, about the value over replacement player metric. Mm. Or, you know, or win, what is it? Win win versus replacement. The win o- win, mm. win against. War, win over replacement. Win, win over replacement, yeah. war, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, if you were to bring in a kind of another decent manager of Dai Young's yeah. level, can you realistically forecast you'll get more wins? That's really the test, isn't it? Yeah. And the answer is, I'm not really sure. You know, it's, thing, it's always difficult, you know, and that's why rugby generally has always stuck with people a bit because they've understood the complexity of building 
something that big. Yeah, in a, in a game that's as complicated and there's as many moving parts as a rugby team has to to work well, you know. And you look at, like, since Danny Cipriani decided to leave in February two years ago, right, here's a list of some of the players who've decided to fuck off since then. Marty Moore, Guy Thompson, Kyle Eastman, James Haskell, Jake Cooper Woolley, Christian Wade, Michele Campagnaro, Will Stewart, Willie LaRue, Nathan Hughes, Joe Simpson, Elliot Daly. And they've also had about four players retire in their 20s because of injuries in the last two years. Mm. And loads of long-term injuries. Basically, what's been the mix of like the SOM and the cattle market for the last 18 months. And the players that they've signed to replace them Lima Sopoaga being the most high profile, but also, you know, Brad Shields, who's basically been injured ever since. Um, Minotzi and Vecator have come in this season and looked okay. You know, that's nowhere near enough to replace what and, they've lost. And that's the thing, isn't it? When, you, when he's rebuilding a team, which he quite clearly is, and I don't know what we've said in a few weeks, I don't really know what they're doing at the minute. The squad looks okay, but it is, you have, you've built half a squad effectively uh, yeah. you know, over the past two You've only years. got a look. You only got to go on Wikipedia and look at the wasps like signings for this season, and you know they've left they let about fifteen players go one way or another last season, and they've signed a couple of high profile names like you know Fekitoa and Minotzi, but then every other player that they've signed has basically been promoted from the academy. And, and I suppose then the question becomes: you trusted him to do it. Well, you trust him to do it last time, and he came within a whisker of winning it all for you. Mm-hmm. So what is it about him now that he's not doing, other than the fact that it's, he's just not somebody else? Yeah, and I think that's not... and and that doesn't really pass muster for me when it comes. I mean, we love Di, and I'm sure he'll go and get another job very easily, you know. Yeah, um, but uh, I you suppose know, it's a bigger them. issue than Di, isn't it? It's a kind of you know what are you hoping to achieve here, other than simply getting another face well, in the tracks. Let's not forget a year or so ago, you know, wasps basically paid die enough in a new contract to put himself out of the Wales job running. Mm. Like, that was not cheap. So, you know, a year ago they thought enough of him to to give him a fucking decent wedge to see off a, the, the you know, a, a decent enough wedge to see off the opportunity of you know, manage, of, of coaching his country which is the ultimate job for any fucking coach or any player or any person, you know. It's like, it makes me wonder just what has... Because they didn't sack him. That was the thing that I found really unpleasant about the whole thing. They sort of relieved him of first-team duties in a way that shocked both the players and, you know, the guy who's fucking having to take over from Lee Blackett, you know. Nobody expected it. They all seemed quite pissed off about it. You know, Dan Robson was was kind of very forthright in how shocking and disruptive it was. But you know, hmm. it's I just, I just think were they just trying to get rid of him without paying him off, basically by sort of putting him on effective gardening leave in the hope that he'd fuck off. That's not going to work though, because he'll have a well, no, very good claim to get which, a very nice you, compromise. Exactly, and I, so. I imagine that that's kind of where they ended up, which is why he's now no longer employed by wasps but it, it just felt really a really grubby way and a really kind of classless way to treat somebody that you know lit, played a huge part in literally saving that club before the pe- people who, that's the problem is the people who are currently own wasps weren't even fucking involved 
Do you know who I blame for all this? Uh, James Haskell? Leicester. Oh, right, yeah. Because. Continue. <laughs> they kept sacking coaches. That's true. And actually, now, yeah. once somebody's become the first person through the wall to do that in a sport, yeah, it becomes kind of, a more acceptable. A thing, you move inch by it? inch now into sort of saying, well, we'll just sack you then. Um, and yeah. I know he's been there well, all the time. Well, look what's happened and, with. Le- Look what happened with Leicester since, though, and look what Richard Cocker has done with Edinburgh. Well, you know, yeah. I don't think anybody think looking back on this now, anybody thinks it was a good idea to sack Richard Cocker because he's clearly an excellent coach, and what Leicester have replaced him with has clearly been broadly fucking shite. Are you looking forward to international cockerel? Because we all know it's coming, don't we? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it might it might happen in the next couple of weeks, depending on how <laughs> things go in the Six Nations, but. Um, so yeah, farewell die. Yes, farewell die. I don't think it's going to be farewell for long. It won't uh, be goodbye. It will simply be farewell for a short time. Because um, indeed, uh, come come to the Ospreys, please come to the Ospreys. <laughs> Let's go um, to the Ospreys. <laughs> Can you imagine how even more deadpan his face will be on the first day at Ospreys training, looking at that fucking shower. Black However, Black what a win! What a win! Yeah, I know we're not talking about it because we're a bit beyond. I know it, we but... haven't. Uh, yeah, but you know, I've I've basically just been kind of mildly okay for the whole week as a result. Alan Davis is. blocking a fucking drop goal with his face, <laughs> full Glorious. full length just is basically yeah, having no everything. part of his body in contact with the ground, just <laughs> basically becoming a tiny blonde Superman. <laughs> Absolutely here for it. Bank of Ireland is looking out for your financial well-being. They want to help protect you from fraud. So whether it's Black Friday, Cyber Monday, or even just plain old Tuesday, be careful online. Don't assume that every text message or email you get claiming to be from a bank, a delivery service, or any company is legit. And remember, Bank of Ireland will never send you a text message or an email with a link asking for your full 365 PIN number or one-time passcodes, so don't give them out. Search Bank of Ireland Security, and together this Christmas we won't let the fraudsters win. Begin. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Acast recommends podcasts we love. Changemakers is a new podcast series with me, Claire McKenna, talking to people who stand up, speak out or challenge us to think a little differently. It's about the greater good, families and children respecting their own individuality. In the next couple of years, like I hope I never have to have conversations about racism ever again. Like, I just want to get to the stage where, you know, people are just people. Nobody's pooling the resources together and actually being able to show how much of an impact it will make when people do come together. Changemakers with Claire McKenna. Search for it now wherever you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the world's best podcasts, including the David McWilliams podcast, I'm Grandmam, and the one you're listening to right now. Right then, shall we talk... That was the news. Shall we talk yeah. about... Um, the games that are coming up this weekend in the Six Nations. Rugby's oldest championship. Um, And that's it. (laughs) There's nothing more needs to be said. Rugby's (laughs) oldest championship. Italy, Scotland on Saturday. France versus Wales versus France, if we're going to go in home order. Um, On Saturday, tea time, and then England, Ireland play England on Sunday. They certainly do. Shall we start with... uh... Let's start with Saturday games, I suppose. Wales. I suppose we should, yeah. Wales. I mean, Italy, Scotland's up first, isn't it? Um, we'll do that one first, then. Get out of the yeah, way. What can we talk about? What... Chris I Harris mean... is back in. 
Yeah, which I'm a fun, like. It's basically this whole thing is sort of Townsend going. This isn't the time to do anything razzle dazzle, lads. Let's let's not pick anybody that could be confused with somebody that's going to do something unexpected. And is let's this going to is this going to be Hugh let's Jones? Just go out there. <laughs> is this Hugh Jones's career now? A flash, then you come back in while people remember the flash. And then, and then it, people again. aren't really convinced and out you go again and then you play well again for Glasgow and then you come back in and people aren't really convinced. I mean, I think it'd be very sad if that is what his... But, you know, you look at, at you know, the the pack and the backs that have been picked and it's, you know, there's a lot of bosh there. There's not you a know, lot of pace in that midfield, is there? No, there's not. You know, it's Sam Johnson, it's Chris Harris, it's Sean Maitland. <laughs> it's, so yeah, that as well. Big lads, King let's Bond's not fuck not about rapid, it. rapid, rapid, is he? I mean, he's. I like no. him. But... He's, he's, a, he's a lovely balanced runner, but he's not, you know, Hogg is the only genuine pace person in that back line, really. And it just looks, it has the look of Gregor Townsend going, we fucking really need to win this game, boys. <laughs> it's probably going to be shitting it down because it appears to be shitting it down everywhere right now. Ironically, the scrum's going very well. Exactly. So you kind of say, let's just pieces... lean on that, and you lot don't do anything fucking stupid, and let's just, you know. Yeah, the set piece is going well. The defense is actually going very well. You know, they've only conceded two tries in the tournament so far. So let's not fuck ourselves here, lads. Mm. And it it will genuinely be very interesting to see how that actually goes in practice, because it's quite often the case that you know Italy looked pretty good against France. At times, they still looked a little bit fucking ramshackle and a bit hilarious. Well, they looked exactly but... like Italy. Yeah, which I mean is more better than looking like a team of shambling amateurs like they did against Wales the week before. Yes, but yeah, you know, it's. I think we still know what we're going to get from Italy. A lot of it will depend on back rows, basically, won't it? Mm. You know, Richie, the Mish, and Bradbury is a. A, a well balanced offer. A well, yeah, yeah, and a, quite an uncompromising one as well. Whereas Paledri, Negri, and Stain is also an uncompromising and very balanced one. So, yeah. Scotland have had quite a lot of um, positivity at the break, then, haven't they? In the, they in have. The, I, I mean, like the thing, the trouble is, the, the game, the England Scotland game. We'll come on to this when we talk about England, but you, there's absolutely nothing you can learn from it at all. There's nothing you could say. It was such an insane situation weather-wise that I don't know there's anything you could say. So I kind of go back to the Ireland game and say, well, yeah. actually, there was enough there to to definitely say they can go to Rome and win easy. Yeah. I think they can. Like I think Scotland fans are understandably being. I mean, I fucked it now bit... by saying that clearly, but yeah, well, I understand Scotland fans are naturally going, no, 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 shut up, shut up, because they've danced this dance before. Um, but you look at that Scotland team, you think there's absolutely no fucking way on earth that, you know, they should be doing anything other than at least kind of having a very niggly battle with Italy, but ultimately having a bit too much quality. Yes. And yet, and yet, you know, who knows? But... I think Scott Cummins I, I, is making a big difference to Scotland team as well. I think he really is, year, actually. actually. Yeah. He's, he's 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 quite tasty, isn't he? You know, I I'm less convinced by a, a Toulouse Cummings. I'm less convinced by Toulouse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I like. I wonder who's going to get through the sort of 
dog's work in that with, you know, missing Grey for the rest of the tournament. And Bradby works hard. He does work Richie hard. Richie works hard of the people. get. Well, no, people do give you credit for working I enjoyed, hard. I think he works I, I really enjoy hard. Jamie yeah. Ritchie. And I think him and Pledri, Negri and Stain will have a good time. And I think, I think it could be a, a really, for uh, somebody that has no skin in the game, it could just be a really fun game watching I think be, two, if it's the, the two weather, very yeah. good abrasive back rows basically just wind each other up for 80 minutes. And if the weather's not too bad, you might actually see some nice rugby, actually. Yeah. And, and I mean, obviously... There's um, the... a lot of searing breaks from Scotland. I mean, you might see the breaks, but they'll end about 10 metres after the game line when which, whichever one of their... No matter how searing it is, paste. it, will be, it yeah. will be quenched by the ice-cold <laughs> water being poured over it and driving at the line one man at a time. 500 times yeah I mean um, there's always Byron McGriggan to come on if uh, if you need some red hot pace I suppose he's relatively quick um, I, do, I, do, I do agree though what has Hugh Jones done what well I suppose it's what he's you? not done I, I, you know he, he's he wasn't fabulous against Ireland and I didn't no. game I don't even judge anything I get I come back to the value over a place but does England Chris game. Harris offer you more um, he probably does as your your point, he probably does in just fucking hold, holding his channel. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Well, what Hugh Jones when Hugh Jones is playing well, what Hugh Jones does best is score fucking shitloads of tries, and then nobody pays much attention to him and holding his channel. The, yeah, when he's not, it's this. It's very much the George North slash Alex Cuthbert argument. When George North yeah. and Alex Cuthbert were scoring fuckloads of tries, nobody was noticing that they were a bit defensively suspect, yeah. and they drifted in and out of games. In the same way. With Jones, I think it's all the more... Because he's a centre, Yeah, he shows up a lot more Howling. and a lot worse. He's yeah. a 13, you know. Yeah. The linchpin. Yeah. Um, oh, just the last point on Italy. They are serious. Obviously, an entire strategy now is Carlo Canna at 12. And I, yeah, for one, and I'm more it. reassured than I ever could have imagined it's, I would be. It's, it's gone so much better than I thought. And, you know, because he's not a small man, so he doesn't get shown up as much defensively as I was expecting. I mean, I'm still absolutely unconvinced by Tommy Allen and Callum Braley as a halfback pairing. But, <laughs> well, I mean... Yes. <laughs> I mean... Yeah. Um, but, from a... Yeah, the sort of Canna, Marisi... 12 and 13 seems to kind of work. And um, somebody yeah. somebody on Twitter said, is Carlo Canna the most underrated player in the Six Nations? The answer to that is clearly no when you are fucking mad. Oh, of mad. course not. But, um, not by a fucking actually, million yards. I would argue this Six Nations most underrated player is actually Sutherland, the uh, Scottish prop. He's, he's very yeah, good. Yeah, he's been really, uh, really good. But, uh, I mean, the fact, that, the fact that we do have to remind everybody that just because Carlo Canna isn't absolutely shit in the bed doesn't mean that <laughs> He's somehow the Doesn't second coming Will of Greenwood. fucking. So, you know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not. It ain't that ain't it, Chief. Not yet. Right. Uh, so prediction. Uh, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say Scotland by five. I think it'll be tight, but I think Scotland have got a bit too much quality. Scotland by twelve. Fair For enough. me, ballsy like it. Yeah, the, the amount of um, hits we're going to get in our feeds now saying oh about how God, utterly we've ruined well, everything for them. I know, but it's true. You should, absolutely should be beating Italy even away. Sorry, Scotland fans. What I didn't do, sorry, just before we finish, I didn't go through the teams quickly. I won't go through the benches because oh, yeah. I'm not bothered. But basically, um, 
Scotland are Stuart Hogg, Maitland, Chris Harris, Sam Johnson, Blair Kinghorn, Adam Hastings, Ali Price, Rory Sutherland, McAnally, Xander Fagerson, Ben Tooley, Scott Cummins, Richie Watson and Bradbury. Italy are Jaden Hayward back at fullback, Bellini on one wing, Marisi, Canna, Matteo Minozzi on the other wing, again, which is something they're obviously persevering with. Mm-hmm. Tommy Allen, Callum Braley, Andrea Lavotti, Luca Bigi, Giuseppe Zilocci, Alessandro Zanni, who's now 54 years old. Credit well done. Um, <laughs> Niccolo Canoni, Paledri. I quite Medley like him, by the way, Canoni. He seems like he might be fun. I like the entire back five of their pack. Yeah. And then when like Lazzaroni comes on, and Dean Budd's all right. He's, you know. He's... Yeah, yeah. I, I like Lazzaroni as well, yeah. Yeah. Italy once again Italy are getting themselves into the place where they're a lot more traditionally Italy i.e. their pack is looking quite decent again I hope so I mean the results have always been what they've been they've had a couple of years where they've won a couple of games but I mean they really are like a unicorn do you know what I mean it's like it's they're like Haley's Comet those seasons I mean they've generally always been shit I always get annoyed when people say oh well you know it's not like it used to be so yeah well it was shit then they kept losing games then they've always been quite I think the reality is they've got to make it hard for teams they can't get and I think that it's something that maybe Argentina have found as well is that like playing the razzle dazzle shit is fun and more entertaining but it's all the more likely that way that you're going to get beaten by 30 or 40 points by a good team I would say that for a team like Italy, it's much better to lose to England by seven than it is to lose by, you know, to lose 50 27, you know? Right. From Wales, a sense France. Point of view. Yes. Quarter anyway. to five. Um, welcome to the game <sighs> in which Gail Ficku is a winger. I mean, I cannot pretend that I'm not. Is Teddy Tomma injured? Slightly delighted. I honestly by don't that. know. Is Teddy Tomma injured? <laughs> is he injured or is he just an absolute defensive? I know Teddy Thomas is starting on the other side, isn't he? It was oh, of course a, he is. Sorry. Oh, he, Rattes, oh, Rattes is there. injured. Rattes is yeah, injured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rattes yeah, yeah. is very injured. Um, yeah, I find. I mean, I fancy Arthur Vincent, uh, Vincent and Vakatawa at centre to be a great deal more porous than I do Fikyu <laughs> at 12, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, and I also fancy Josh Adams versus Fiku in the pace stakes to be an interesting matchup. Um, yes. Or even against George North, to be fair. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting... Like, I, who fucking knows with this game? Honestly. Like... I think you've Wales made the point some... a few times, haven't you? This very every weekend they're, they're quite hard to call. There's nothing... There's no outstanding <laughs> candidate for a victory any weekend, really. No, I mean, certainly... So just do the teams quickly before we get into Yeah, yeah, run through them. Uh, f- Wales, because they're at home, we've got Lee Halfpenny at fullback, George North, Nick Tompkins keeps his place, as does George North, actually. Uh, mm. Hadley Parks at 12, Josh Adams, Dan Bigger, Gareth Davis is back in, Wynne Jones, Ken Owens, Dylan Lewis, Jake Ball, Alan Wynne Jones, Jake Ball's back in, isn't he? Yeah, Alan Wynne Jones, Ross Moriarty's in, Aaron Wainwright's out, uh, Justin yes. Tipperick is at seven, and Taolupe Falatau, of course, keeps his course. shirt at eight, because ain't nobody taking a shirt off a of fit Taolupe, <laughs> let's be honest. No. France, no, even though he, yeah, uh, carry on, sorry. France are uh, Boutier of the boot, uh, Teddy Thomas, Vakatawa, Arthur Vincent, Gael Ficou, Roman Antimac, Antoine the Lord de Pont, Cyril Bai, Julian Marchand, Mohamed Ouas, Bernard Larue, Paul Kill Kill Vilemza, Francois Cross, <laughs> Charles Olivon, and Gregory. I'm very, very good, Aldrete. Um, <laughs> Aldrete? Yeah. 
be great Aldrich. if he was from Newcastle, yeah. wasn't he? Does Aldrich? he qualify for Aldrich? Scotland, Gregory Aldridge? There, there is some... Um, Scotland certainly asked was what I was told <laughs> um, because his, par- he lived, his parents lived in Scotland. All right. But apparently his dad is actually South African, not Scottish. Right. So he's not in any way. So it he was might a, be... It was a naught from me, yeah. Yes. Um, but there was a weird stat, which until last the last game, he'd never scored a try against anyone that wasn't Scotland, which would have been ironic if he was Wouldn't uh, have been ironic. Scottish qualified. So anyway, this game... Mm. Um, yes. Wales, Fuck I suppose, knows. first. Gareth Davis comes back in with Dan Bigger. George North keeps his place. Almost by default, really, because I feel like Johnny McNichols still very much looks like somebody getting used to He's the test green, arena. Yeah. And I wouldn't want somebody, you know, as much as George North has got critiqued for his defence, and rightly so, it's not like Johnny McNichol is an absolute fucking steel door out wide. No. And I would not really want, you know, players of the ilk of you know, Vakatawa or Teddy Toma running at him in that sort of situation. At the same time, though, he still picked Nick Tompkins over um, Owen Watkin, who had a very good game for the Ospreys on the weekend. So, mm. I mean, it's... I think he just wants... I think this is his team for the time being, probably with Halfpenny moving out for... Um, Williams when he's fit, yeah. For Liam Williams when he's fit. I think this is probably going to be the team for the time being, and he's going to just let this team grow with you know a couple of tinkery bits here and there there's not going to be well which is understandable really like because when you think about it he's had this team for like four games he probably is still trying to work out who can actually deliver the game plan that he wants in the way that he wants and so yeah I think it's interesting dropping Aaron Wainwright's a big call Aaron Wainwright's played a lot of rugby in the last 18 months and he looked that that island well, game was the first, first time he really. Game, wasn't it? We said that, didn't we? I would say that or the. Middling, yeah. yeah, when he got in, you know, the game where he got injured in uh, the World Cup was, you know, obviously kind of the only time where he'd ever looked like he was really struggling at test level. And yeah, ev- every young player is going to have a moment where they fucking have one, you know. And if he's if he's just look if he's just tired if he's just burned out and he needs a bit of a you know, a chance to sort of affect the game off the bench and, you know, empty the tank in that way, I think it's actually probably quite sensible. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And, it, you know, Moriarty, Tipperick and Fanatauer is a very balanced back row and probably has more overt carrying power with Moriarty in there. And nothing says and... we need overt carrying power like this fucking French back row so far this year, <laughs> does it? So... Exactly. You don't want to be taking a backward step and... Yeah, I, I think you know it's it's good to have the option of bringing Wainwright off the bench as well. You know, it, he, you know, with only you know half an hour to sort of empty the tank, he could probably and do France some have pretty impressive tired, things in the last twenty yes. minutes of game. So it's a and that sort of impact. And you, you know, you look at that. The bench is actually probably the most interesting part of this. Yeah, Wales Will Rollins is a good. Will Rollins out call. of fucking nowhere. Yeah. yeah, you know it's. Well, Pivak has got to have a look at these people at some point, hasn't he? He's just think he's got to have a look at them. And this Six Nations is kind of, as much as Wales fans, and you know, I'm, I'm, with that, I've sort of been very frustrated with a lot of stuff that Wales have done in this Six Nations, particularly in the Ireland game. You know, it is important to remember that this is his first Six Nations, and 
not everybody is Warren Gatland. Not everybody's going to win the Six Nations at their first go. And, you know, he needs chance to look at these players and understand which, you know, the, the style of play is so different yeah. to what, Gat, you know, it was under Gatland, certainly in terms of attack. He needs to have a look at them all and he needs to find out which ones work and which ones don't. And, yeah, you know, Will Rowlands yeah, will also then be capped, which is, you know, handy both from a, a getting him to come and play for a Welsh team point of view and for a keeping him away from anyone else point of view, which is, is cynical as fuck, but that's kind of where we need to be with a small player base. The um, You mentioned about the French midfield being quite porous. I suppose Nick, Nick Tompkins had... Did he have a difficult afternoon last time out? Yes, he, he, had, he certainly had a difficult first... 50 yeah. minutes yeah I, I was thinking of, that but I was just I was working it through he got his head he's got his head in the last half hour and that was he, it and he, he overcommitted a bit on quite a few didn't he and stuff he's going to be up against Vaca Tower yeah the man who makes you overcommit just by making you think you're going to overcommit sort of thing yeah I worry that could go quite badly Um but yeah it's that he's obviously you know Pivak wants to score lots of tries you know I think Pivak would rather win this game fucking 35 28 than win it sort of 8-6 which is absolutely never how Warren Gatland ever thought about rugby ever but his and certainly not how Sean Edwards ever thinks about it and I think that he's just you know he's backing the guy that's got the more you know I don't think Owen Watkin is is the 13 personally at test level he's never really looked you know he's a 12 and he should be a 12 and he should play 12 and he will probably be playing 12 when Hadley Pox, you know, starts to decline in a year or so. But yeah, he's, he's sticking with, with the man, with the person he came with in, in, uh, in Tompkins. And, and I kind of respect that in a way, because it would be easy to sort of drop a player after that Ireland game. And for a player on two caps, that could have been quite bad for his confidence. You know, <laughs> now, don't get me wrong, getting turned inside out for 80 minutes by Vaca Tower and getting having to get hooked at half time will not make that any better. But at least he's giving him the chance to go out there and try. And I respect that. Gareth Davis versus Antoine de Pont is sort of the, um, the extreme ends of the brains trust at scrum half <laughs> spectrum, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It's, it's one scrum half that is an absolute fucking you know, supercomputer of rugby intelligence and somebody that relies purely on instinct in Gareth yeah. Davis. Yeah. And this is really interesting. I honestly, obviously they've brought him back for his blitzing and his defense, I would imagine, because, you know, yeah. DuPont is prone to take a risk or two and so is Ntermak. And Gareth Davis has probably looked at that and gone, I can have me a couple here. Mm. And, you know, that's <laughs> it's a great way to put off a great player like DuPont or a really good player like Ntermak by, you know, getting up in them. Even if you don't stick them under the posts, if you can pick off one or two of their passes early doors and make them have to think twice about that stuff, this French backline runs so heavily on basically just, you know, the communication, you know, the sort of psych psychic communication between these players you know there doesn't seem to be a great deal of plan involved it's all just kind of happening and it's improvising and if you can disrupt the sort of chain of that improvising and the sort of the communication between the players then I wonder if that's the best way to sort of disrupt this French backline it's certainly certainly what Wales are going to try I think in terms of um, 
it's what France haven't beaten Wales for fucking ages. There you go. I was trying to think of a way to express that in a more yeah. complicated way, but they haven't. And no. And as much as it's easy to say that well, it's easy to fall back on cliches like Wales are at home, right? But the reason why mm. you know home advantage is a cliche is because usually it's fucking true, and it's even more true in rugby, generally speaking. It's um, even more true when it comes to French teams. <laughs> yes. So. Yeah, but France however, have a history of not turning up away from home, and they have a history of not really turning up. You know, France-Wales games are almost always unwatchable and dreadful. Let's not beat around the bush there. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and I don't think that Sean Edwards is going to I think I might be covering this, to... but I've not had the schedule yet, so I've got that to look forward to. So. I, think, I think, yeah, I don't think it's going to be one for the... I could be totally wrong, like, but I just think this is going to end up being a fucking street fight. But that'll be brilliant, and though. So I that, quite I enjoy that. I'm into this it. France yeah. versus, yeah, yeah, and it's sort of, it's an interesting kind France of. France will feel it's unfinished business as well, aren't they? I think massively so. I think I think that's something that Wales oh, kind of haven't really factored in when you know Ireland had big fucking bones to pick with Wales and points to prove, and France will have gigantic fucking points to prove. After what happened in both in the Six Nations last year and in the World Cup, and I just think Wales is just sort of kind of wandering into these situations, not really prepared for how pumped up people are to beat them, and I, that's kind of how they've looked and felt so far to me a little bit. And I I feel like if they haven't got their head on the straight, France could come in and and make life very unpleasant for them quite quickly. And it could sort of have a bit of a bad old days of the sort of 2007, 2006 yeah. kind of era where France would turn up at the Millennium Stadium and basically run riot for half an hour and then stop. But it was over by then anyway. What I think I do know is if Wales defend the way they did last time out, narrow, everyone, oh boy. a few people rushing out a bit, as much as I know I take what you're saying about a bit of disruption, but I don't. I think it could end badly. I think that DuPont and, and Tamak, even at this early stage in their careers, are entirely too bright. For that, yeah. you know, to not let not take advantage of that. Well, they they so. can just they'll see what the gaps. You know, they they both have a sort of pre particularly Dupont as a preternatural fucking gift for spotting a soft bit of a defence and exploiting it. And yeah, it's the fact that he doesn't just kind of scoop worked... the ball. It's the it's it's the different directions mm. he takes once he has. I can't think of a better way of putting putting it. He just yeah, like say, he, just... He's, he takes unconventional routes to the game line, doesn't he? There and you that go. Fucking yeah. terrifying. Unconventional routes through the game line, even worse. Yeah, yeah. And that fucking terrifies defenses at the best of times. And Wales better have been working fucking dawn or of to course, dusk. They could on just for throw a miss two pass to Fiku and then you know watch him slowly wind up to try to run somewhere. So. Yeah, before Josh Adams puts him into touch, you know it's Adams is on the opposite wing now, isn't he? Oh, of course he is. Yeah, it'd be North while Watch George North yeah. failed to. Put well, him imagine into that. Touch. That's like yeah. two people sort of <laughs> half cantering around with a lack of confidence. Yeah. No, it's, an, it's, it's it is as we you know you said earlier. You know, a lot of the matches in the Six Nations this year have been very hard to call, and I find this one extremely hard to call. Like, but I'm going to make you call it. So, what are we calling? I. What are you calling? I kind of think it's either going to be like Wales by three or it's going to be like France by 12. I don't see Wales winning this comfortably, but I can see in the right circumstances France running away with it quite easily. 
Wales so, yeah, I... by five because France just can't get the ref on side. Is my uh, is my call? I, I, I do think, think Wales think will do much, it, and I think it'll be a bit. This will too, be a. It'll be stop start, and and bigger will kick more. I think is the top and bottom of it. Yeah, oh, I think that's undeniably a, a sensible way to go. You know, particularly with without Rates, who was so good at a sort of covering the back line. Um, yeah. In the England game, if I was Dan Bigger and Gareth Davis, I would be making sure that that French back line is doing a lot of running back and covering kicks. And because they're not, you know, okay, they might score one from 60 metres, but most of the time they won't. Just picture this in your mind, though. We could have the last 20 minutes of that game. It could be uh, Jared Evans and Matthew Jalabert trying to out madness one another. X rated is... stuff. <laughs> It'll be with, ba- with Baptiste Saran and Thomas Williams as the nines. Oh. So <laughs> I mean, how can that be a bad game? Yeah, I mean they really would be spoiling us if that. In fact, I kind of hope that the game is, for one way or another, done and dusted by about sixty minutes. So both coaches just go, ah, go on then, on your goal, lads. Yeah, send the mad lads on. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. So there you go. We think Wales in that one. Now then, Sunday's or game. Maybe France. <laughs> Sunday's game yes Twickenham uh, England versus Ireland now obviously last year this was the opening the opposite fixture in Dublin was the opening fixture and I was in Ireland for that yes and, and was fully expected to sit quietly in a pub while we got battered and it didn't quite work out that way uh, but, certainly uh, didn't no so England haven't named their team yet because Eddie always leaves it right up to the wire doesn't he I mean, can we talk about before we talk about the teams, can we talk about whatever the living fuck happened with fucking Eddie Jones today? Okay, I've not seen this as I've been, you know, I've been digging for water, as I explained. So, oh, Of course you have, haven't you? Um, I mean, there was a, a fairly remarkable moment today where um, Eddie Jones basically... So I think a reporter sort of asked him in a slightly leading way... Because he'd said at the start of the before the World Cup about how he sort of prepares for games by kind of centering himself and doing meditation and all this sort of stuff. Hmm. Um, and somebody basically said and mindfulness and all this sort of stuff. Um, and somebody asked him about it in the press conference today, and he basically said, uh, "I don't think I've ever spoken about meditation. You must be thinking about someone else. Maybe another half Asian person. Maybe we all look the same." <laughs> Now, <laughs> whoa, mate, <laughs> chill the fuck out. Um, and he's now had to um, apologise and <laughs> to the reporter, in, of to the reporter in question of being a racist. Yes. Yeah, for actually just asking him about something that he said. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's a true dead cat, dead cat on the table merchant, though, is he? I mean, that's big, yeah, order, but, but it's, it's all just about like, just, I'm hell, bored mate, now. Chill, or say chill the like. fuck out. <laughs> it's like. I, and, I, and I appreciate Eddie's, as you say, he is a dead cat merchant. He does like to wind people up, but like sort of basically calling a reporter, a sort of basically implying that he's racist. Yes. It's a bit fucking much, mate. It Bloody is. hell. A bit much. And it, it's, a, yeah. it's, it's a lot much. It's too much. Um, and of course, yeah. Ireland had decided to uh, prepare by having Paul O'Connell in camp. Fair enough. And a I Bono. mean, that's absolutely what I would do. The Bono thing is weird. Very the Bono weird. thing is really fan. weird. Who knew he was a rugby fan? Also, there's a weird photo that they posted of what appears to be um, Bono 
sort of spooning what looks like the most de- world's most depressing korma sauce onto some rice for Johnny Sexton. And it's genuinely one of the weirdest photos I've ever seen in my life. It's not that because weird because Bono big... increasingly does look like a dinner lady now. He, does, so... he absolutely does, but it's the fact that the big spoon is on the plate <laughs> in that photo. The big like serving spoon is on the plate and he's just sort of delicately drizzling what appears to be a very bland korma sauce onto the plate. And Johnny Sexton looks genuinely fucking mortified. As if he's, he's, I've actually got fucking heat. Johnny Sexton looks like he's on a fucking RE retreat, and it's the the, the weird young, the, the weird trendy hippie priest is trying to trying to be mates with him. Is what he looks like. It's such a weird sketch, but I mean, I, you know, I'm sure they're hoping it's gonna gonna work. I wonder what of. he said. What would Bono say to a rugby team? What, what does Bono it? say? Full fucking stop. That isn't tedious and annoying. Yeah. You know? Did he talk about his favourite hat and how it inspires him to good performances <laughs> or something? And find your favourite hat and you'll get yeah. there. Oh, who knows? Does he ask Johnny Sexton if he gets it? He buys a separate plane ticket for his boots, <laughs> like he does with his yes. hats. Indeed. It, I mean, it's just bananas, isn't it? It is. Anyway, so that's what they've done, and then Farrell's up. But the good thing is that's all Farrell's answered questions about, not really about the game. It's just been about <laughs> I was born. Yeah. Oh, I was great. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> Which, yeah, we, I mean, if that's how they planned it, let's divert all this talk about I've, me coming back to England as a head coach as I turned down the job. And if let's I get said, fucking... I've never spoken about Bono. That must be some <laughs> other white man from Wigan. Maybe we all look the same. And somebody went, yeah, yeah, you all do, to be fair. You all look exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. like you. <laughs> um, uh, anyway. So, yeah. So it's anyway, Ireland, the game. England haven't named a team. Ireland have, have stuck no. with what they had before, apart from a change on the bench because Keelan Doris is fit again. And yes. And mean shuffles out. So it's Lama, Conway, Henshaw, Aki, Stock, Stockdale, Sexton, Murray, Healy, Herring, Furlong, Henderson, Ryan, Omani, Van der Fleer, and Stander. Um, I, I, I haven't really got a clue what's happening with England. Um, England have named a 27, haven't they? It's, um, like, it's therefore not a clue, really, other than maybe um, it'll look very much like it probably did last time. Yeah, interestingly, though, um, they have called uh, Benabano back into the squad yeah. um, to cover a loose head injury that Eddie James won't tell us which loose head is struggling with injury. Well, he because dropped Joel Marler just... completely last time, so... Yeah, he's just in... Eddie's in such full turbo-twat mode at the moment, he won't even say which of his props has got a little niggle that they're hoping he'll shake off by kick-off. Um, and obviously, Mako Vinipola's gone back to, uh, yeah, to, Tonga, to Tonga for family, family reasons. reasons yeah. Um, so, yeah, they were obviously a bit shorthanded there. Um, but, yeah, there's not a great deal of... Aside from um, what's-his-face Gloucester winger still being in the 27... Um, mm-hmm. I don't see a great, you know. I we know. I don't know what Manu's to say. Back. I don't know what to say about England, right? Because the Scotland game was so ridiculous. <coughs> yeah, you yeah, can't yeah. read anything into it at all. The France game, they were a t- they, so many of them played badly. So I genuinely have absolutely no idea how England are playing. Yeah, and I don't think they do either. So, Other than the sorry, fact I, they keep getting bullied up front when there's an actual proper game of rugby happening for the past two games. Which is mildly terrifying given Scotland, the you know. size of England's pack. Um, yeah. But yeah, so the England, the squads, the forwards that have been retained are Luke Cowan-Dickey, Tom Curry, Tom Dunn, 
Ben Earl, Charlie Ewells, uh, Ellis Genge, Jamie George, Maro, George Cruis, Joe Launchbury, Courtney Laws, Lewis Ludlam, Marla Sinclair, Will Stewart and Sam Underhill. And obviously Ben Abano has been called up um, as cover. Backs are Daly, Farrell, Ford, Furbank, Willie Hines, Jonathan Joseph, Johnny May, Henry Slade, Ollie Thorley, uh, Manu Tulagi's fit and Ben Youngs. So I think basically, team-wise, we'll see basically the same team that went uh, it'll be France against team, France. It? Yeah. It'll be the France team possibly Minus with Michael. the addition. With, yeah, and with the addition, I reckon, probably a Lewis Ludlam starting over yeah, Laws. Yeah, yeah um, probably. Yeah. And then... You know, they, I, I reckon maybe Hines might. Start. I reckon that I reckon they'll go six-two for this. I reckon he's <laughs> yes. basically. I think. Well, they've only they've retained like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven backs, and fourteen, fifteen forwards. So, you know, that to me says he's going in loaded for bear. He basically wants to arm wrestle mm. them off the pitch, and he has got and, Matt Proudfoot now. Yeah, he's so got Matt Proudfoot, and he has got you know. Let's not forget if Manu is fit and fit enough to start, then you know I, he has caused Ireland no end of trouble in the past, and you know he causes lots of teams no end of trouble when he's fit. To be fair, but um, but I will be in six minutes. Well, yeah, I would be interested to see a Farrell to Laggy midfield up against an Aki Henshaw midfield though, because that is some big fucking beef running into each into each other. Shoulders you know, flying partic- everywhere. <laughs> particularly Henshaw against Tuolagi. That is a big collision of bodies in midfield. I mean, it's kind of worth... I'm quite excited for that, to be honest, as a relative neutral. I just want to see big men running into each other really hard and see what happens. So, where yes. does that leave us? Uh, it's hard to... I, t- I don't know how England are playing, you know... Uh, I think Ireland have been showing enough grit up front in the last game. There's enough of that foul defence that's still hanging round, and I think there was enough there was enough movement between the two games in the way they were structuring their attack to make me think that it's going to get better this time. And I think that allied with the fact that I just don't know how England are playing, but Eddie Jones has had two weeks with them. Uh, yeah, leads me to think that you know Lama's playing better than Furbank. I just I. Furbank will probably start again. I think Lama's playing better think so, than him. Yeah. I think Lama's playing pretty well. You know, Andrew Conway is going to be quite a point of difference, I think. Um, I think so- the kicking game of, of Ireland's back three, and particularly the way that if they can do what they did to Wales, to England's back three, I think England will really struggle. Struggle If they can have Johnny May sort of turning around and covering kicks more than he's running into space, then, you know, he's basically been the only point of fucking attacking anything over the last two games for England. And if they can neutralise him, where does the attacking threat come from? Mm. Yeah, so what do you think? I think, again, going back to what we said earlier, I th- home field advantage is important in yeah. this. And I just think that I think it'll be small margins because there are. I, I mean, think it's you know, going to be a very small. It's going to be a very tight game. I think maybe England by three, or maybe both, England by two. In fact, both set pieces are going well. Yeah, there's nothing obvious there. So I think it's um, yeah, the back. Yeah. 
Stand has played very well, I think. Would he, he's would playing he, exceptionally well. Would, he's would, probably he player of the tournament so far. His knack of just being a bit of a shit house over the ball, legally or not, doesn't matter. The fact is, is that he he gets it done. Yeah, and, I and think the fact that, that might be a point of difference. I'm not sure him, how well. And him carrying, and you know, him playing eight against. You know, Tom Curry played better at eight against Scotland than he did against he did. France. Don't get me wrong, but like, I still am not convinced that he's an international number eight when you know the conditions aren't basically levelling it and making everybody look like they've never played rugby mm. before. And I would be interested to see how a back row as kind of, you know, throwing Omani in there as well, who's just, let's face it, the art shit out. You know, Omani Stander and Van der Fleer is a really balanced back row that mixes hard carrying with really strong work over the ball and shithousery. And... It'll be interesting to see who gets on top, I think. And as with so many things these days, it's like, I think whoever gets on top in that back row is probably going to come out with a win. And I think there's a very basic, very, very big point of difference. Both England's scrum halves are a bit shite at the minute. <laughs> yeah, and both, and both of Ireland's scrum halves are quite good. <laughs> Conor yeah. Murray's become Conor Murray again, and Cooney's playing very well and chomping a bit, and played very well every time he's come off the bench. So Yeah. The, the flip side of that is that Ireland's scrum, Ireland's fly off is playing very well. I would not, you know, but both of England's fly, you know, George Ford is playing extremely well, and nobody's really talking about it, but he is. No. He stepped up against um, Scotland, didn't he? Yeah, in he that really ridiculous did. game, but I mean, and, he showed enough about him to make to give. Yeah, him, to make and him. Farrell obviously will play well if you give him a go at ten. I'd be less comfortable with you know Burn coming off the bench in a game of this size and this can't repel firepower of that magnitude yeah I, 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 yeah I, I'll be intrigued to see how that whole thing shakes out if if it has to, you know Sexton is, always looks like he might get injured at any moment it's yeah but that's how he gets it could you. be a big one yeah that is how he gets you it's the new O'Driscoll hard thing, to call it? I think I might lean towards you that it could sorry to be dull but it could just be the fact England are playing at home unless Ireland do a what like England in Dublin last year and come out and fucking obliterate them in the first ten minutes? Which uh, again, a point to prove. Less, yeah. you know. I mean, if, in if many ways, can get them farrelled, fired up. Farrell can farrelled up. There indeed. you go. It's a thing. Get them farrelled up. Let's not face. Let's be honest. It's more interesting for the tournament at large if Ireland lose. Sorry, Ireland fans. Yes, a triple crown like, if they win. Of course, that'll be something they're up for as well. So yeah, exactly. Well, there but you like, go. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a, yeah. It's it's very hard to call. All the games are very hard to call this weekend. I think I'm very excited about it. It's going to be a good weekend. I'm not going to move. Yes, I will be at the Guardian for a couple of games. I still don't know which ones. Well, I'm definitely doing Sunday, so I'm definitely doing England. I don't know about the Saturday game. Um, anyway, uh, thank you, Josh. Thank it's you, everybody, pleasure. for your patience. You know, Indeed. we say that far more often than we than, than you deserve, <laughs> we really, really but we do because that's just who we are. Um, and we yeah, we're a bit of a shambles, all. but yeah. We'll be back on Monday. Uh, that I will, we will promise you. Uh, Indeed. Speak to you all soon. Take care. Ta-da. Take care, everybody. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.